Apply today for a visual arts program at the Banff Centre for Arts and Creativity. Visual Arts at the Banff Centre offers exceptional programs for professional artists, curators and art critics, and researchers, as well as practicum opportunities for emerging practitioners. Their residency programs provide the time, studio space, facilities, feedback and engagement with peers and faculty to hone your artistic development. Their thematic and self-directed programs encourage experimentation and exploration of ideas, theory and process. The Banff Centre Practicum programs offer practical hands-on training, mentorship and experiential learning opportunities for aspiring artists, curators and museum and gallery practitioners. Visit bampcenter.ca for information on programs currently open for applications and apply today. Welcome to Momus the Podcast. We are your hosts, Sky Gooden and Lauren Wetmore. For one or two more episodes, we're going to continue with this question, what makes great art? We feel like we aren't quite done with a question that keeps giving us so much, so we're going in for a little more. Who did you speak with for this episode, Sky? I spoke with Margot Williamson. Margot is a slow painter who gives the greatest primacy to the work of her work and to the thinking through that the work requires. I wanted to talk about that with her, about the work involved in art. She says it's cleaner to talk about other things than her painting, but when you talk with her, you're really never far from her work. Her friendships and her sense of community, I mean, she's the most profound bridge builder and counts writers like Ben Lerner and Sheila Hetty among her closest friends. I understand her friendships to always be circling, as mine does with her, the work. And I think it's about attention, really. Her attention is always on painting in some way, even if you're talking about other things. I also understand her to spend most of her time in her studio thinking. I find this mysterious and compelling. And of course, the question I most wanted to ask but held myself back from was, what are you thinking about when you're thinking about painting? I felt like that could be a bit invasive. But she gives us a few glimpses, in fact, and as usual with Margot, there's a lot of laughter in the mix. I really have to say, too, that Margot is among my favorite painters just ever. She pulls from the history of her medium while articulating something precise about the present, and she has this ability to zoom in on the banal until it's anything but. Hers are domestic scenes typically of stillness and night. She moves her focus around like in a dream, sharply alighting on lived details or on a scene after the action has moved out of frame. Outside her focus, scenes slip like eroded memory, her planes veer and tilt. She comes upon her subjects as though by holding a flashlight. Mm, I can't wait to hear you too. Here's Sky and Margo. Okay, so maybe the first thing, just to get it out of the way, is to have you say your name and how you identify yourself professionally. Margo Williamson and how I identify myself professionally? Yeah. I'm a painter? Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, I think the first thing I want to talk to you about is aloneness versus being with people-ness. You are like one of the most isolated painters uh, I know of, even historically. Like you really, you really carve out space with such intention for the thinking through and the act of painting. Uh, And yet you also, um, and it almost feels contradictory, but you make it look so easy to occupy both spaces. 
have such a role in your community and among friends and peers. So I guess I'd love to hear you think about that out loud for me. How do you choose? How do you set boundaries? And how do these things complement each other? I guess I don't really want very much. So it's very clear to me how much I want time. And by time, I mean time alone. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that is just the biggest priority in my life. How to have that quiet space. And it's amazing to be in a job where you can where that's beneficial. And then I don't feel very obligated to be part of a community. Like all of my connections with people outside of my studio are purely from my desire. Mm. Do I really seem more isolated than other painters? I don't know painters. You seem, maybe that's not quite the word. It's more, it's like a determination to... It's a determination around the work. And and what I understand about that for you is that you are thinking as much as you are painting and that and maybe even more and that both of those things are taken very seriously and given the space and time they require. I guess I yeah, I'm curious. I also know that you share work hours with Sheila Hetty and that you have this peership with so many people. So that's that's kind of the arena I want to get into. I guess they both they both feel similar. So the uh, carving out enough time where you can have that solitude is very important for the work. I don't think I could make the work without that. But all the people I'm drawn to, um, they sort of make that space bigger. You ask how carving out, I don't know how you put it, carving out mm-hmm. time. or For me, it's just like, if I can get it, then that's amazing. So it's just, it's just the only thing I wanted. Mm. So it's almost like, oh, I, I get to have that um, because the continuing making work sort of provides that. Yeah. And so where does, uh, where does the, the working with others piece fit in? Is this like a really natural decision for you in a given day or uh, through a given project to involve other people? Or do you have to make, do you have to set some lines in the sand around it? Uh, you mean when I work with people or when I have friends? I mean, I know that you talk to your friends fairly religiously about the work. Do you find yeah. there's a distinction between working with people and having friends? No, I just, uh, for me, it all just seems like friends. Mm-hmm. And then I talk to them about their work and and they talk to me about my work, but I I have also collaborated with people on work where they're a more active participant. Mm. I love working on my own work and then having more brains on it, sort of. Like mm. it just, if I know so many different kinds of people and culture, if I'm, if I'm friends with 10 people and the role I have as a painter, it's so fun that I get to have all these different minds that think about different things sort of help me inform my work. Mm. But that's not, that was not initially why I was drawn to other people. It just, when people make good work, it just calms me down and it gives me faith that good work can happen. So I'm just, uh, I'm just drawn to that. Mm. Not very jealous of it. (laughs) 
I don't know if that's a factor, but... Sure. I mean, was that something you had to work on or it was just always true that envy didn't creep in? Envy didn't creep in. I think my need to have faith that good art could exist trumped any personal feelings I had about my incompetency. So maybe take me back to the start for you. Where did, um, where did art begin for you? I made a choice when I was about 18 to do art and I hadn't planned to do art. Maybe there, I, I was pretty compelled to do it, but I didn't think it was a good idea. Mm. But somehow I made that choice. And I think that's part of the reason why I work so hard because I felt like I did have other options and it felt like a sort of useless choice. So I thought if I worked really hard, maybe it would have not been such a bad choice. Yeah, I mean, hard work seems like a really intractable part of your practice. It was always helpful having, I always had a lot of like crappy jobs, like working as a bag boy and a sandwich shop maker. And, a, you know, I just always had those kinds of jobs. So mm-hmm. working on art in nine to five just was such an extreme pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it, I just never really get bored. I think everything always seemed like hard work to me. So working hard on art was way more fun. Mm. I think I don't mind drudgery and and especially with art, if you have three hours of drudgery, it usually explodes into some euphoric depths. Mm. <laughs> you just have to be patient. I guess I always saw that, that, that boredom and patience leads to complicated things. What what taught you that that was true? Was there a moment where, I mean, I guess I'm wondering what you trace that back to. How do you learn that? I guess from having a life of drudgery and boredom. <laughs> <laughs> if you're used to putting in hours that aren't your own hours, and then you switch to having it be hours that are your own hours, mm-hmm. that's a gift on its own. Mm-hmm. But then within that time especially if you get to use your mind and your hands and um, you often go to very interesting places. Mm-hmm. There's not, there's not much else I wanted like that time to be alone and go to interesting places. Like it never once occurred to me to travel or to buy something or, you know? Yeah. I think the best thing I can think of is a, is a new room that's completely empty mm-hmm. and a death. yeah yeah that's a fantasy of mine too a bed sit with maybe a single a single burner a stool for your tea (laughs) the rest is a blank page well so what was do you have a memory of being introduced to a great work of art I mean I kind of I I put sort of in my voice some scare quotes around that because I know this is a very subjective experience in a very subjective term and sort of a silly one even, but we know it when we see it. Actually, um, I always loved art so much, but the sort of most memorable times have been like how to not burp on a podcast. Um, (laughs) Anyway, looking at art is just it's been always been such an extreme pleasure for me but the times that I really noticed sort of feeling very connected with the work was the handful of times I had to write about something 
like in school I had to write about uh, an Egyptian temple and I just felt very incredibly moved somehow. I remember applying to a university and we they put up a painting and they had us write a spontaneous essay about it. And it was a Philip Guston painting and I had, oh. I didn't know his work and I just completely fell in love with the work so much. <laughs> like that's the main artist people notice when they see my work. Uh. Um, yeah, I like I remember every single piece that I wrote about. And I also I really understand work through other people's words, too. When I really think about it, most of the work that I got very connected to somehow came a bit through the collective action of people talking and writing about it. Mm which is interesting. Like I wouldn't have really thought that. I mean, there's like, what is it? Christian Markley's The Clock. Mm-hmm. People have written beautifully about that, but still I, I would have, I would have been pretty overwhelmed by that without reading about it beforehand. Cause it's um, connecting to time, mm-hmm. which is a little bit like connecting to other people's minds. So when when did your relationship to to art writing begin? Uh, that's an interesting piece that I wouldn't have assumed about you, that you were often relating to the writing aspect as much as everything else. I don't even read that much art writing either, but <laughs> is that bad to say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think what I like, it's not not just about my experience about writing and feeling more connected than I normally would. I think it's I think that just alerted me to the fact of connection with other people and connection with art um, that one great painting on its own can feel a little bit meaningless. But if it's tied to the time or other people's minds or if it gets reinterpreted through words. Like if it maintains some life outside of itself, I feel like that's, that's a little bit what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And for sure, some work can, some work exists without any of that, but I, I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I adore about you. Um, on that note, I guess I wonder about um, how, how do you allow yourself to be influenced or do you ever have to put up sort of a bit of a a screen against influence? I know some artists, for instance, have trouble looking at other work. Um, and here you are like flooding yourself with artists and writers and filmmakers, et cetera. So I guess I just, I, I'm curious, maybe this circles back to my earlier question around like, do you have to conscientiously put up boundaries around what is yours and where influence comes from? Yeah, that's so interesting when I've heard other painters too talk about this where they want to protect something in them. Yeah. They just completely don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) Like whatever that part of me that makes art. For, For someone else who thinks that way, they see it as something precious and delicate and it needs to be protected from the big bad world a little bit mm-hmm. or maybe louder voices. But for me, that part of me just feels like the biggest part of me and the part of me that makes art and the part of me that talks. And I just don't know what I'd be protecting 
I think too, just even that I've never been interested in authenticity. I feel like we, you just can't help be who you are. And the more you hide from what other people are doing, or the more you hide your own work from other people, just any idea of theft or something, it just goes against um, this hope for art that can be better than any individual can be. So when you're when you say you're not interested in authenticity, it sounds to me like it's not something you have to fight to protect. It's uh, it's your baseboard. And I and I guess that could could just be me, but it's for me. It's always been hard to see that it's necessary for anyone to protect that. Mm. I mean, that seems very lucky to think that way. I think so. Or, or to be able to take for granted that uh, that you will always show up exactly as yourself, whether in the work or in conversation, which you do. <laughs> but it seems really lucky. Well, I think if you're not so concerned with who yourself is, then you're not too worried about it going wrong. I see. So <laughs> it's a matter of ego. <laughs> it's a matter of goddamn ego. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I wake up in the morning and all I'm doing is like, I am protecting myself a bit. I'm protecting myself from ego a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I get to the studio and I'm, I am connected to the world. I'm, I get to be bigger and, you know, and slowly who you are kind of creeps in by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So that is the part I protect a little bit. So that's, I especially guard myself in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, having to be reminded of who I am. If someone I knew was doing paintings that were better than mine, I would still be so relieved that really good paintings were being made. Like mm -hmm. I, like I still need that evidence more than I need. Uh. And so even though I said I don't read that much art criticism, it's not entirely true. Like I, I see the person making the work and the curator selecting the work and the person writing about the work. And if all of those parts somehow, and a million other things and their friends, and if something really good comes out of that, that's so lucky. Mm. So many people are working so hard just out of this like hope and faith that something good will come out of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, I have an ego too. <laughs> Well, who is it for? I know that's another really big question, but I feel like I've been kind of led to ask it by your your reflection there around the evidence serving you um, so fulfillingly. Who do you think art should be for? Or who are you doing it for? I think I started out wanting to do it for people that didn't like art. Really? Yeah. Um, but I've sort of abandoned that goal, but it sort of set up some of my hmm. guidelines for how to make art. But I guess, I guess for, it, it is a tricky question because it's different all the time. Well, can we just circle your first answer a little bit, you know, <laughs> cause there's a lot there. <laughs> what, oh, first of all, were you, uh, is there a memorable moment at which you realize people, were resisting art and you wanted to make some, uh, have some impact in that way? Yeah. So just coming from a Southern 
backgrounds where art isn't entirely valued or understood or recognized and people feel excluded from it and it doesn't seem if you don't value it you don't see the purpose or the meaning you don't know anyone who's struggling to make it so it does look a it does look like an indulgence a little bit but it gave, it did give me so much pleasure that it was hard to suppress um but i so even though i didn't suppress the love i had for it and the love i had doing it i still was a little bit suspicious of it and i still wanted art art to be accessible like i feel like there's a lot you can do to make things accessible without compromising the intelligence of it well i mean it's incredibly generous as an impulse and of course it's also this master that you can never really serve is there, has there been any remainder of that impulse do you think around accessibility for you i feel like that's why i paint like i I I love all the different mediums. I love all the different roles and culture, but painting is a pretty straightforward. Look, it's art. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like it's flat. It doesn't take up much space. <laughs> this leads me to a question around. I mean, what I see in your work um, as a uh, perhaps the most strident feature in your work is is attention. So you know the the feeling of attention of pulling attention from the one who's looking at the work, but also, in fact, giving image to what attention looks like in the work. Um, And there are these moments where the frame is slipping or there's a a sort of the visual equivalent of an ellipsis. Um, There's dark space. There's space that you can't quite intuit what's happening within it figuratively. Um, there's usually something that's decentering or destabilizing in the kind of activity that's being inferred, but, but by and large, these are all circling the larger project of talking about attention. Um, and I also know you at least anecdotally to be giving so much attention to the painting that there's, it's thinking, you're thinking the work into being, if I understand your practice. Can you talk a bit about that and what that looks like and what that feels like? And if I'm right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like attention is different than time. Let me just say one more thing about this, that I'm starting to really understand this. You, you can say you're giving eight hours to your studio, but that does not mean that all eight of those hours, in fact, it would be very lucky if this was the case, would be attentive. So... Yeah, I'd love to just understand your approach to attention and the way that you're maybe embodying it in the work a little bit better. Well, I think with paintings, like any medium, they have their limitations and virtues. And so they're flat and they don't move. So they get to be this one space that you can go into. Yeah. And that's always the pull with painting. Is it abs- is it like a flat abstraction? I mean, abstraction is a weird word for what abstraction is. It's like you can you can acknowledge the flatness of the surface, or you can make an illusion that represents depth. And it seems really wonderful to allow paintings to be both those things. I think at one point with my work, I was I was like, I don't want to let people escape. <laughs> Like you, you sort of don't want it to be a trick. You don't want, you don't want it to be a window instead of a real window. 
so I guess at one point I thought maybe maybe it could be better than a window. Like it can still go somewhere, but you know you're right here. I don't know if that helps with attention, but and I guess that yeah, it's like you're looking around. What what are you seeing? Is what you're seeing anything or is it nothing? <laughs> I just felt very German. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know it's silly to, to pour over somebody's social media and think that it's super representative of anything poignant. But in your case, I think it is that your approach to Instagram is a lot of those. Well, is it something or is it not something? (laughs) I love Instagram. I like when people like my paintings, I'm like, thanks. And when people like my Instagram, I'm so flattered. (laughs) Because I sort of, you know, with painting, it is a bit of a trick. Like, people can be easily impressed with skill. Mm. But I know that's not what art is. Um, And, of course, the paintings, they're they're much more... um, I take much more time with them, and I'm hoping they're going somewhere deeper than a quick photograph. I mean, at least a quick photograph that I take goes. But it is fun with Instagram. I just love, like, I just get that special Instagram feeling once in a while. (laughs) No thoughts. It's just like, oh, look at that. That's there. (laughs) Yeah, that should be their motto. (laughs) I don't even question if it's something. I'm like, yeah, that sure is something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Marco. MoMIS requires institutional independence to do what we do best, publish intelligent and risk-taking perspectives on contemporary art, and pay our writers well above industry average rates. In our first five years, we have kept a low overhead, led the online publishing industry in better writer and editor remuneration, begun an emerging critics residency, published a print compendium, and produced a podcast, which, in addition to our weekly features and reviews, is free. In order to do all this, we have solely subsisted on advertising sales and reader support. This last element, contributions from people like yourself, is the contribution we're most lacking, and yet it has the greatest potential to impact our future. So please consider donating. For as little as $1 or $5 per month, you could be making an invaluable difference to our ability to publish the art writing, criticism, and journalism we all deserve. Visit patreon.com slash to learn more about how you can contribute or for more information on how to advertise or patronize Momus with a one-time contribution, you can always reach out to me, Sky Gooden, at momus.ca. I mean, I've only recently discovered that in my practice, it doesn't have to be lonely, um, which is like a breakthrough. I mean, that you seemed to have an instinct for or an affinity for community or or peership. Neither of these words quite feel like the right ones, but that you knew to surround yourself with people on some level, it seems from the start, um, is already, you know, a huge advantage. I never felt the need to rebel against, like, a teacher you know, or an authority figure in that small scale way because it seems so vulnerable. <laughs> so, and I guess I just see that with people. So I think 
I think when I see someone making incredibly good work, it doesn't occur to me that they're doing great and they have things I don't have. I think my first thought is, oh my God, I bet they're not very appreciated. <laughs> Maybe they're so smart. People don't really understand their work or, <laughs> right. you know, I still, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to understand that artists and writers are not underdogs, even when they're really successful. Mm. They are a bit in New York. So New York's always kind of funny. Mm. Like, oh, that's a good thing to be when you're in New York. <laughs> Especially a painter. They like painters there. But it, but I still feel like every everybody sort of needs some support and nobody's alone in this stuff. I mean, you're brilliant for it, Marco. I don't think there's once that I've run into you at a at an opening or or even over email that it hasn't involved some kind of introduction on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> so or I'm yeah. introducing you. Yeah, um, that you're linking me up, that you're building bridges constantly to to other to other shores for people. It's a, it's a huge gift to receive and it's a really magic quality. I think on that note, I I wouldn't mind asking you about um, your relationship to where you are and it must be a decision um, to be in Toronto and not say New York. So what does Toronto do for you? What does it mean to you? How does it affect the work? Toronto has always felt like so much space. I feel like it's funny what you say about attention because that's what Toronto has always seemed like to me. It's like, my God, nobody's looking. So much here. There's so much, um, there's so much space. I realize it's changing, but I don't know. I think it's a lot of different reasons. I think I just thought, oh, the world's changing. We all don't have to go to one place Mm. and maybe the world's better for that. Did it ever feel like a sacrifice or like a principle? In some ways, it does seem easier to go somewhere like New York. (laughs) And when you say that to people, you sound like you're humble bragging. Hmm. But it is like, yeah, New York's set up for a painter. It's a nice place to be. It's uh, There's a lot of nice dinner parties. Hmm. But I'm certainly not giving up the stuff I really need, which is, I don't know, what do I really need? Hmm. (laughs) I guess I just thought, I've moved around a lot. I moved around every five years in my life. Mm. And so I moved to Toronto in 2000. And I am an American, so I I could have gone. I just thought it would be, I thought I'd have a more surprising life if I stayed here. Well, that's a nice thing to say. And I think an unusual thing to say. There's a lot of griping and grousing that goes on around the Toronto art community. It's nice to hear that it feels surprising or that it could have held that for you. Yeah. And there is a lot of space from pressure and from the pressure of speed. Mm-hmm. Like I, a lot of the, um, mm-hmm. the art writers that I love here, I see them benefiting from taking their time with something. Mm-hmm. It is kind of, I mean, everybody is a little bit like what Toronto's like. No one's paying attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't, that's not true. I mean, a lot of people are paying attention, but yeah, it did seem a little weirder to stay here Mm. I think I'd feel too I think I'd like turn into like more of a dumpster diver you know in New York like it's just I just feel like if I I I think a long time ago I felt like if I went to New York I'd be abandoning everybody or something like I'd be oh wow I'd be at the party 
And it, I think that would have been a bit hard on me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you felt some sense of responsibility or fealty uh, to the community? Or how would you finish that sentence? It wasn't even... It wasn't even responsibility to anyone else. It was just an, a slight aversion to be at the right party. <laughs> I know the right parties aren't fun. Um, I mean, we've covered a lot of what I wanted to get into, but maybe I have like two two more sort of tracks to, to get onto with you. And one of them circles back to the question of work. Do you think that work is hard work, let's say we should qualify it or else it gets a little abstract. Hard work is always a feature of great art or do you think it can happen easily sometimes? Maybe not for you, but for other people. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel, I feel a bit foolish for how hard I worked, but that's, that sort of taught me how to work and where to go. And I certainly over time developed a a desire and just a plain need to Hmm. be more clever in my work Hmm. to like move less and think more Hmm. but other people are much more clever than I am and so I mean it is painting is uh it's a craft and it's a bit laborious like writing is but yeah of course I mean you don't really need you don't really need those crafts to make art at all But it's just that, yeah, I wouldn't have known how to make art had I not had a craft. Because my thinking, my, I need to be led by my hands before my brain even knows what's going on. Oh, really? A little bit. See, that's interesting because I think I understood you to be leading with your brain. Well, it, I guess it depends on who you think's in charge of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> This is getting existential, but I really like it. <laughs> um, I lead, yeah, a part of a part of my brain leads, but it's not clear what's going on, you know? Yeah. I can joke spontaneously and joke around with people, and I understand that kind of creation. But when I'm alone, it is nice to have um, some handiwork while you're patient with your brain. Mm-hmm. And then it does come quickly, but only like if you've been sitting in a chair for three hours, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's like that soft focus. You sort of have to, you have to look away a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to have work while you're, while you're looking away. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. I, no, I understand completely. Talk to me about, maybe as the, the last thing that I wanted to broach with you, talk to me a bit about ugly and beautiful. Ugly and beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> what do you think about ugly and beautiful? <laughs> I mean, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible suck for beauty, at least in my yeah. in my life. Like, I'm currently making a new home for myself, and it's all about painting the walls dusty rose as you can see behind me and buying bouquets of flowers at the market downstairs and and so yeah I'm a bit of a suck but I I really appreciate those who who walk the line with greater determination somehow or maybe just aren't so so easily seduced by aesthetic whim or something and and you're one of those the work has such integrity for not uh, giving into 
as sucks. <laughs> That's interesting because when I talked to you last week, I described it to someone. I was like, well, it's so beautiful. <laughs> she, she's so beautiful. Then this apartment and the window. <laughs> Marco. I can really appreciate beauty, but it definitely, it definitely isn't like a home for me. Mm. Like not something I need. I don't think I don't think I like construction as a painter. I don't really like to make a new world. Like I find that very perplexing. I like the world we're in. I think it's hard enough to see the world you're in without making a totally new hmm. version. I think honestly, if I painted my walls dusty pink, I'd just be like distracted by my choice. I'd be distracted by. I'm a human and I did that. <laughs> I mean, I love beauty, but I don't really, it's true. I haven't, I never thought to value it. Although, I mean, those are such abstract terms, ugly yeah. and be yeah. beautiful. Like definitely, I think we all agree that the best thing is ugly, beautiful. It doesn't get said enough, but yes. <laughs> that kind of gets through what I wanted to talk to you about, but I'm really happy to have you offer anything else that feels relevant to the subject big though it is is there anything else that you might want to talk about i don't know does anyone ever say yes to that yes <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's this little you know velvet pouch of ideas that i just failed to spring the the thread on i mean people bring things into these conversations that we maybe don't greet oh i never know what i don't know I just feel so much older now. Me too. I'm 43. So I just feel so far away from these stories I normally tell about myself. Yeah. So far away from choosing to go into art and so far away from what I, who I thought I was talking to. Yeah. Of, like, I guess as you get older, maybe the, your stories change a little bit. Hopefully. Like, it's so funny that I thought I, thought I could do anything and... So part of the reason I worked so hard in art was because I made a choice. It didn't seem inevitable to me. Mm. So I was like, I, I have to make this choice valuable. But as, as I get older, I'm sure that would, like I, you know, I, I've been alone in my studio only talking to my friends <laughs> for like five months. And then suddenly I have to like deal with a museum for like one day. And I'm like, Holy cow, this is so complicated. <laughs> I think, what in the world did I think I could be the president? Like, <laughs> like who, who did you think you were? <laughs> Moments the Podcast is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and assistant production from Mitra Shiram. We would like to thank Margot Williamson for her contribution to this episode. And the BAM Center for their support. If you'd like to inquire about advertising opportunities or other forms of support, please contact me, Sky Gooden, at momus.ca. This has been episode 15 of Momus the Podcast.